welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, RFP Refugees Podcast. Ted here, John here. We are not doing this one on YouTube. We are not doing this one live. We we decided that we would kind of give you send off. We already did our, our sort of end of the DC United season live show. Um, and uh, we decided we'd just uh, kick it old school. Kick it old school, back right, John? To, back to our roots. Back to our roots, exactly. John, how you doing, man? How was your weekend? It was good. I had today off too, so that was even lucky. Triple bonus, great. I uh, I did a lot of weird things today. the 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 itinerary of my day is very strange. Um, but I won't bore everybody with it. But I did happen to give a homeless person a ride to a bar at ten thirty in the morning. Okay, so that's that's part of it. <laughs> All right, I was, doing my, I was doing my good deed for the day. He there did spill. He spilled his malt liquor inside my car on the way there, but. You know, it was cool. I cleaned it up. Scott was very excited about it. He got to go to go activate his phone. So, you know, doing my good deeds. I'm getting building the karma points. I was had some nice breakfast and I said, Hey, this guy asked a favor, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it no matter what it is. And that was his favor. So I did it. All right, man. Just you know, be careful. I, I don't know I don't know if like some picking someone up and driving to the bar would necessarily be my You know, in hindsight, here's the problem. <laughs> I am gonna get into it. So if anyone asks me a question, I am I if yeah. My, the long history of my life is that someone will ask me of, ask me for something on the street. And if I can't think of a good reason to say no, other than like, that seems weird. I don't want to do that. I usually will do it, particularly if I feel safe. I felt safe in this case. And then in hindsight, I was thinking he could have had anything. He could add anything. And I was just like, nah, it's fine. It's Fredericksburg. It's the morning. It's monday <laughs> every I, this is not how i die no way no chance that's that's the, in fredericksburg is probably and that's probably like your last mistake that's how like you end it up is, on that's how you. that's how you end up on like a, a disappearance like video or something like that <laughs> like yep. so well, if i ever disappear it will be me doing a good samaritan thing that's gone wrong <laughs> that's if, if if the podcast stops coming out entirely remember this on this day november 11th you now know you now know probably what happened to me uh all right. Um, I guess we should talk about the soccer thing that we we're on here to talk about. This is the banter you get when it's off season. Yeah, when so, it is off season. And you guys wanted you guys wanted us to continue this in the off season. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of your fault if you think about it. Yeah, you all you all definitely did. You know, definitely. But we're not doing um, so. Uh, no live show. So um, I did put out like you know a last minute call for comments. So um, we will keep abreast of those for people who get them in. People will probably like you know message us at like eight thirty or nine Correct. or something like that done. when we're done, being like, "Hey, I have a question for you." Um, so nothing yet, nothing coming in, but we will keep that. But uh, let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how the uh, MLS Cup final took place last night. John, I'm sure you watched it, right? As a, as a I did. As you know, I am a big fan of MLS. Once my team gets eliminated, I just can't get enough of it. <laughs> Particularly when there's other sports that are uh, that are more happy so, uh, than than MLS at the moment. So, so yeah, I watched it. I took a lot of notes, but I figure I should let you have most of the conversation. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I did. I, I you know, unlike unlike certain people, um, because I know not a lot of you watch it. Only eight hundred and twenty three thousand people watched it. <laughs> I was in good company doing anything else. <laughs> and you know, even I, even I saw. You know, I have to say too, I went out like to a friend, and I mean, this is kind of the 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 crux of the problem that MLS face. MLS's face. You know, I I met a, a person. I went over to um, a former coworker that my wife worked with, um, and her son was there, and uh, you know, made us dinner and and everything like that. And you know, he he's a big Arsenal fan, and I talked to him, and you know, he, he's certainly aware of MLS. He certainly knows it exists. He he's been out to, you know, he said he's been out to kickers games, and he says, "Oh, is MLS still going on?" And I'm like, "Yeah, the the championship game was was 
was was today, like at three o'clock. And that's the problem. That's the problem MLS faces right now because it's like you know there are people out there that are soccer fans. They are they are they are indeed they they sit there. They will they will watch Arsenal. He talked my head off about Arsenal's issues and Arsenal's problems and what they need to do, which there are many. But but when you when you actually get them in front to sit and and watch a final game, they're they're not going to do it. Now, granted, the the teams that we're playing are are certainly big in their markets. Um, certainly, I would question. I would say maybe you get another eight hundred thousand that would sit down and watch the game if Atlanta's in there. Um, I think certainly having a team in Canada kind of dents um, the market. I'm sure it got great ratings in Canada. I'd be curious what the TSN ratings are. Probably over a million. You know, maybe a, a million and a half to two million. Um, watch that game, um, maybe even more. Uh, but you know that—that's kind of what you get. Um, I watched the game. The crowd was fantastic. Uh, I believe it was sixty-nine thousand two hundred and seventy-four people. If my mind, my memory holds correctly, were at that game. Um, certainly had a big game type atmosphere. Uh, the game itself did not start well. It was kind of cagey for about. You know, it was kind of like we were heading towards. Uh, the game in 2016, but the roles were reversed. Before you had Toronto in the 2016, you had Toronto FC high flying, you know, number one team, and you had you know Seattle basically just holding on for dear life, um, and just hoping that you know Stephen Fry had at least one or two you know really good saves. Uh, in the end, it was it, it was it was uh, it was a little it was uh, a little reversed a little bit, um, in the sense that uh, you had Seattle obviously the favorite and Toronto. Um, very much trying to make things uh, difficult for them, trying to move the ball. Uh, they for about I'd say about sixty minutes. Um, that game was uh was pretty much all uh, was pretty much all Toronto. And I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, this is a great game to bring in a guy, you know, sixtieth minute, bring in Nick DeLeon, and he, you know, he finds a, a banger, and and you know, you're one nothing, uh, a one nothing victory. Nick DeLeon, score of Galazos. That's yes, all he does. score of Galazos and score of like really important goals. I, I said this on Twitter. He is the like the Nate Schmidt of the MLS playoffs. If you're a hockey fan, you know who Nate Schmidt is. He's referred to as Mr. Game 7. And the fact that he just like scores like he just finds a way to score goals. And he never did it for the Capitals, unfortunately. But he finds a way to score goals in like big situations and like big Game 7s. Um, you know, DeLeon's had... Two moments that we can certainly point to in 2012 and 2018. Uh, and then, of course, you have the big moment he had against Atlanta. So I thought this is like a perfect game for him. You know, Toronto's frustrating the opponent. They're not letting Rodon or Ladero or um, really Diaz really get anything. Um, but they also weren't generating all that much, too. I think they, they really missed a, a healthy Josie Altidore. Uh, they kind of have been riding this whole playoffs without a healthy Josie Altidore. Um, and he did make a substitutes appearance kind of when it was too late. I think it was 2 nothing down uh, at the time, so you needed to kind of score a goal pretty quick. Uh, but, um, you know, Seattle gets a very, very fluky goal. I think it was like their left back takes a couple deflections, probably an own goal, uh, but MLS goes goes ahead and gives it to him anyway. Um, I'm sure there was some, uh, some, some politics there about not having OG own goal on the score sheet. Um, in some in some sense, uh, I, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me. Um, and then uh, I, then a really really nice goal uh, from Victor Rodriguez. Uh, great play and great work. It was two nothing at that point. The crowd the crowd erupted. Um, I think they had brought in like a seismologist or something like that to like. Yeah, I'm measure. looking at pictures of it right now. Yeah, they're, uh, <laughs> they're they're very high. The the sound graph much higher than the viewership graph. I would assume. Ouch! Ouch! 
Yeah, but uh, two goals, and then I think uh, Rudy Diaz had had the third, and, and that was kind of lights out. Um, I think uh, Josie... That goal Al- was funny, too. That yeah. goal was very funny. <laughs> the defender... The, Rudy Diaz is 5'6", I believe, and he was playing... I'm, I don't know who the Toronto defender was, but at least six feet tall. Not sure if he was a center back or a right back. Uh, and basically, he tries to shield him for about 15 yards, and Rui Diaz is just like, no, I'm, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm just going to go around and underneath of you, basically. I'm going to crawl under your legs and get the ball and score. What's, and then the Toronto goalie was just like, what is what is happening? Why why am I having to come out for this? What's going on? And and the uh, the, the interesting thing about it is, is I think if, if the game is 0-0, the game is, you know, even one nothing. I think you see the defender just kind of like just clear it out, just right. literally swipe a leg at it. Get it out of there. You know, if it goes out for a throw in, you know, who cares? But when he's down to nothing, I think he's very much caught in the, I have to recover this and get the ball back. And, and, and you think too much about it. And then suddenly Rio Diaz is already, you know, over your shoulder and, and running and, uh, crawled through his legs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're basically toast at that point. But I mean, by then, I mean, really, it was over at two nothing. It was certainly over at three nothing. Um, so congratulations to the Seattle Sounders winning their second MLS Cup. Um, their seventh major professional trophy. Um, so uh, the question, of course, going around is, are they a dynasty? Um, you know, they certainly have that tendency. I don't know where you would necessarily place them um, as far as, you know, great dynasties. But, I mean, the results can't lie. They are they are the team that sort of pushed the envelope and brought us into MLS 2.0. And their ability to somehow always be in the playoff picture, always be in the playoff discussion um, is nothing sort of miraculous. Is nothing sort of of of, fanta- of amazing. Um, when you look at you know LAFC, you look at the Galaxy obviously spending money, Atlanta coming in, you got Inter Miami coming next. It's like Seattle is always just kind of there, and they're always just kind of put themselves in good positions. Um, this was their you know their it was the third MLS Cup final in four years. Um, Toronto included was part of those as well, and they won two of them. Um, so. Uh, they are absolutely, in my opinion, I would classify them as a dynasty at this point. I don't see any reason why you can't. Um, they've won Open Cups way before. Um, I, they're they're a dynasty as far as I'm concerned. Um, they are, I don't know if you would put them above where DC is. I think they have to go out and win one next year, and then we can start talking about that and start comparing them. Um, but for all intents and purposes, they they are a dynasty. Um, where they rank as a dynasty is is certainly up for debate. The, the interesting thing, too, is they've done this with a, basically a full team, um, like, makeover. Like, that, they, they, have, they have rolled the roster over from the, in this time period. There are, there are I don't believe, I'm trying to think of, play, maybe Jovan Jones was originally um, on, one, although he left and came back. Um, Jordan Morris came sort of in the middle of it. All of the stars from the original of, of when Seattle started winning a lot are all gone. Well, um, you know, the interesting thing is, too, you know, they, they ran, they sort of, um, I think, ran into that title. I know they got Ladero. They were, in 2016, things were spiraling out of control. People were talking about them, you know, not making the playoffs. Uh, they go they in. They were talking about using their weird uh, structure that they're able to, like, fire general managers by by vote. By vote, of, exactly. Uh, of, of fan vote. So that that's how bad it was getting. It was getting, yeah. they, were about to, they were about to pull the mutiny card. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think they got rid of Ziggy Schmidt, um, and they brought in Brian. They promoted Brian Schmetzer, and he managed to pull that team around, got them into the, snuck them in the playoffs, and eventually, you know, ran them all the way to MLS Cup. Um, and they've done it. They've done it by just being. They've done it, but really by just being better than everybody in the international transfer market. Um, they were. Uh, they were pretty much uh, floundering again. I think the next season. Or I, I forget whether it was the season or the season after that when when Jordan Morris went down, 
Um, and they managed to pick up uh, Rui Diaz, and Rui Diaz became an instant hit. Um, he's probably, if it were not for Carlos Vela, we'd probably be talking about um, Rui Diaz being one of the top strikers in the league. But because you have Zlatan, you have Vela, you have Joseph Martinez, he, he kind of gets pushed off to the side a little bit. Um, and I think he kind of made a statement in this playoffs with how this team played. By the way, the last team to beat uh, the Seattle Sounders um, was... Uh, the last team to be the South Sounders was DC United in that game. The hey. last the last game I went to. So we get to claim that for whatever that's worth. Not much. It's not worth Very much. little. <laughs> Very little. Very little I'll indeed. take it. Yeah. Uh, uh, other thing, just so as we sort of wrap up on making fun of MLS Cup Finals uh, ratings. So 800,000 was the number on the U.S. US broadcast? Yes. 823,000. Okay. So baseball is a dying sport, right? Like no one watches baseball except for old white people now. It's kind of a thing that's just gone away. So the Nationals World Series broadcast was the sec- third lowest all time, or at least since they've been keeping track in 1973. Uh, the third worst viewed uh, World Series average uh, in since then. And that averaged 13.9 million uh, a game. And there were seven games. So it was actually makes the average a little bit more impressive. And that is Houston, which is a large media market, but has no outside sort of national profile. And, and as much as I love the Nationals, it's the same story there. No other than Rendon and Scherzer, no real big stars, Strasburg's to some degree. Um, we're going to talk about here uh, the study mm-hmm. that I assume, I hope you've all subscribed to The Athletic. Yes. We've badgered you about it enough, but it has been out long enough now. It's been out a couple days. Uh, we're going to talk through this. I think, it's, I think it's really important. I think it's sort of the, the uh, Rosetta Stone for how MLS is behaving, how it has behaved, what we can expect to see. Uh, and then sort of how important those ratings are as they continue to just be garbage. No matter what they try, they try different carriers. They try different times of the week. They try having a set schedule. They have, they tried, uh, you know, they've, they've had consultants from, I know that I remember in the past, they hired people that from the premier league to try to redo their camera, sort of like where they set up the stands for the cameras, et cetera, try to try to make it look better. But uh, that's bad. That's just, that's just very bad. Those numbers are very bad. They're going against NFL Sunday, I guess, in the afternoon. So that's something that's not going to go away. The problem is you can't, you cannot hide. There's always a sport going on. Unless yeah. you're going to be Tuesday afternoon, there's a sport going. So you have to figure out a way to, to get the eyeballs of ever. I should be watching that, right? Like, there's no way that I should find other things to be doing than watching a MLS Cup final. But yeah. I did because I did. And I'm not alone, clearly, by those numbers that they ha- they're having a big problem. And, and and the notion, you know, I'm glad you brought up the notion because that, that's always the argument that comes up. Why are they playing at 3 p.m. on a Sunday? It doesn't matter which day you spend, you spend in the week. They're going up against college football on Saturday. And you can make an argument that it's more stratified. You know, maybe not everybody's going to watch Notre Dame versus, you know, Pittsburgh or something like that. Um, you know, you can make that certainly make that argument. But they're going to be going up against a big sport. You know, unless they change where they play in the calendar. And I have I have I have been on the side of what if this team actually went to a a sort of a a fall to spring calendar? And what if they started out the season in, you know, August, let's say, you know, they get, you know, some nice matchups with the European leagues to start. They get some nice double headers. 
Then they go to November, December to say, okay, you know, middle of the season, all right, we're taking a break. You know, we'll come back in February. You come back in February, you have the back half of the season, you have the run up, you have storylines that you can build out over those two months, you know, who's a top, who needs to get it together. That's also a chance for for coaches to uh, lose their jobs, probably that would probably be considered a time when a lot of coaches where things aren't going well would probably lose their jobs would be around that November, December time, then you have a whole season you ramp up, then I mean, really, you're still going probably you finish the season like May or June. Um, so you're going up against probably the NHL playoffs or the NBA playoffs. Um, but I would argue that is potentially better than trying to sort of battle in this in this fall time with the the baseball playoffs wrapping up and and especially the NFL, um, which the NFL rules supreme. Um, so that's kind of one sort of thing I've had in the back of my head is, is, you know, why why aren't we maybe trying that? Everybody says, well, we can't play in January and December. OK, well, let's not. Let's just split the season up. Split it in half. I mean, we can take a break for a month or two while we while we hash things out. But, you know, either way, if they're not going to change the calendar, then the, the league has to start standing on its own and it has to start, you know, maybe pushing owners, maybe expanding things uh, like the amount of money they're spending to get better players in there, to get better talent in there. Um, the real problem with the league is that, you know, while while teams are becoming more well-known in their local markets. Atlanta's a fantastic success story. Seattle's a great success story. I'm sure everybody was talking about it in Seattle, but no one's really talking about it everywhere else, and that's kind of the problem for MLS. It's been the problem for several years. They solved the issue of being relevant in local markets um, with a lot of teams. Some teams aren't, and that's based on a variety of factors, but a lot of teams are very, very relevant in their markets. Kansas City's very relevant. Um, D.C. teeters on relevancy depending on how they're playing. Um, LAFC has shown themselves to be very, very relevant. Um, Seattle, very relevant, Portland, very relevant, you know, but, and it's just, you cannot get people to show up and watch these games nationally. They'll all show up and watch the local teams though. You, you will watch every single DC game, mostly because you have a podcast, but you're one of those people where, you know, when you got, other, you got other stuff to do and MLS cup isn't a draw for you. So, and, and I, I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. I think we're all kind of wondering what the answer is. That's a great transition, Ted. Uh, so let's talk about the article that came out in the athletic earlier this week, uh, reported by Paul Tenario and Pablo uh, about a the 2015 report that said uh, MLS is losing a bunch of money and here are all the changes that we need to make to make the league better. Uh, we'll start with the schedule because that's where we just were. So they, they suggested altering the schedule so that it started in late February and ended in August. They also talked about the U S open cup being something they needed to heavily leverage uh, because it's, it's a great, you know, it's great drama, great TV drama. And I would agree with that, by the way, I think, I think, we talk about it a lot when it happens, but they want to have all of that happen in February. So first round to last round, all happening in February, which is a thing to do, I suppose. February madness. Uh, this is the this was the interesting one. These are the, these are the two like very outside the box. They were definitely like, oh, we gave we gave you some easy ones. Now let's do the ones who really get your money's worth on these weird suggestions. So after the MLS Cup is over in September, there would be a postseason international interleague tournament uh, between MLS and Mexican sides. Uh, that would be the idea how they would test sort of the long-term relationship, potentially merging it. The league's cup is how they sort of decided to do this. Uh, but the idea was to just do it after the season was over and just keep the players another month to just keep playing soccer. Um, I think there's some, there's some value in continuing to play because the, the players are all still fit and it's much better soccer than it will be when the season starts early in February. And we try to do CONCACAF uh, when everyone's bad. Uh, so that's that's something, and then they just, they're also they're all, even in this thing, even in this article, they're trying to figure out how can they take advantage of lulls in TV viewership in February and August, and by doing that, they have these uh, marquee events uh, in that time frame. 
what do you think about so you, you know a lot of these some of these are new <laughs> the like the postseason tournament is a new idea but the 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 change in the schedule um I think that there's some value in that, and there's also some some costs, right? Yeah, there's certainly some value in that, and I, I think you are going to see you're going to see a very different schedule coming in out coming out next year. Um, I, I, you know, I, this is all kind of grand gesture, but the season now has ended a month earlier than it than it than it than it had in the past. Um, so they have a whole extra month. There there is there are deep talks about them starting in February. Um, for this league and I you know maybe that's a chance for them to you know take the international break seriously uh, but probably potentially end the season earlier than it already is uh, maybe deciding hey let's go up against uh, let's go up against baseball let's go up against the World Series you know maybe that's our maybe that's our path um, not going up against like you know the tail end of the NFL season or, or finding a good time in there um, but, uh, I, I do think we're going to see an early end of the season. I don't know if it's going to be a February to August type time frame. That seems very, very tight, especially when you want, you don't want to have like 20 games in the season and call it, you know, you want to have a full regular season. And I'm sure the owners want to have that because part of the, part of how they're making their revenue is through ticket sales. Yeah, and I'm making it not through from TV, it's not from the TV. Deal, it's not from you. the, it's not certainly not from the TV deals. Um, so you have to, you have to look at that as a, um, you have to look at that as as certainly maybe part of the calculus that's going on right now. Why we had the single limit edition playoffs that ended in November. Why we had so many games just kind of crammed in midweeks. Um, that was a huge thing that was talked about. And I think part of that was we need, we're trying to get the season we're trying to get the season done so then we can, you know, actually, you know, have a fully fleshed out season and we can and we can even push up when it ends um, potentially sooner. Um, so I think that's something to pay attention, pay attention to once the, once the next year's schedule comes out. Um, the idea of playing uh, sort of doing an intercontinental tour with Mexico. Um, I'm one of those people, you know, I, I dislike the League's Cup because the MLS in Mexico continued to compete in uh, in, in CONCACAF. Um, in my opinion, I would love it. I would love nothing more if MLS would just say, you know what, we don't care, you know, we, we're, we're not caring about CONCACAF anymore. In fact, we're pulling our teams out of that tournament. We're, we're done. We're finished. We're finished. This tournament is... It's lit- not because we can never win. There are other reasons. Don't ask well, us no, why see, that I, they are. I, but- I, I, want, I want Liga MX to pull out too because really, what is this tournament What is this tournament really doing for them other than I guess it gives them an entry into the, into the Club World Cup? Right. But I would like to see them actually start, you know, actually put a tournament, put some money behind it. You know, ESPN is suddenly interested when it's MLS versus Liga MX. And, you know, I'm getting, you know, I have no problem with the with the League's Cup as a concept of playing playing against uh, Liga MX teams. I had a problem with the fact that they announced this thing in February or March (laughs) and or midseason even. And then, like, literally had to cram it in between games in the schedule. And, of course, if my team was competing in that. And I'm a coach, and I'm like, heck no, I'm throwing out, you know, I'll, I'll figure out how to get, like, my USL team out there to play. I'm not putting out my top stars and have them get hurt when I'm, you know, fighting for my life in a, in an MLS season. So that that was the part I hated about the League's Cup, is that they could have announced this, they're doing this, and then actually built a schedule around it. That would also, have been- it's the, also, it's the crap teams, it's four, it's like four through eight. It's like the, the Europa yeah. League to the CONCACAF Champions yeah. League. Oh yeah, and DC's playing in it next season. DC's got uh, yeah. Guess what, guys? Our rosters do not stack up well to Liga Liga MX sides from a salary perspective, from a depth perspective. It's not going to be no. good. 
No, no, not at all. So, you know, but I, I don't oppose the idea and the concept. Um, I just think it needs to be better executed and there needs to be some actual discussions and there needs to be some discussions with, um, uh, with, with CONCACAF. I mean, they're part of the reason they're doing this is because the Champions League, they, it's stuck on Yahoo, on the Yahoo streaming service, it was on Go90 before. And then, yeah, I think, I think Univision Deportes gets out. None, absolutely zero of the networks in, in, uh, in America, you know, Fox, ESPN are at all interested in hosting this thing. Or Concaf's not doing enough to entice them to bring them in. Why, uh, why would they want to show DC United versus Joe Public, like the group stage game on Fox Four or what? Yeah, used exactly. to be Fox Soccer. That that made sense. Like, okay, yeah. what else are we going to have on this? But yeah. like now that that doesn't exist anymore, yeah, I get no. it. No, yeah, I still love yeah, it, yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, it's still it's still a fun tournament to watch. But you know, I'm, I'm just, I, you know, we all want that, you know. I guess that that international type competition here, you know, obviously I think, I think it will happen at some, it will grow at least a little bit if Canada's uh, premier league continues to grow and continues to rise. Um, Julian Boucher, superstar. Yeah. Julian Boucher, superstar. Um, I think that could be something though, you know, one, if those teams can suddenly get, and then Canada maybe get some more spots and then we start seeing, okay, this is now you. And anyway, we can go back and forth on that, but I, I think it, it'd be high time for maybe MLS to say, you know what? We're we're done with this. We're we're you know MLS and League IMAX say so you know what we're done with this. This isn't doing anything else. We can you know start our own tournament, make a lot more money. Maybe we work out some contrived you know some contrived qualification format for some of these smaller nations um, to bring them in. But you know right now Concacaf's not doing, and it's not the fault of those nations because I know a lot of them you know don't have the resources to really compete and, and everything like that. But part of this is on Concacaf not doing enough to really put some some muscle behind this competition. Um, they keep changing it. They went from a group stage to a three-team group stage to a, now a knockout tournament. There, there's no setup format here. Um, and, you know, or MLS teams need to compete in some of the South America tournaments. I think that that could garner some interest as well. So, and that's always talked about. DC United used to compete in the Copa, Sudamer- uh, Copa Sudamerica. So, um, that's something I would like to see. If it saves me the frustration of having to watch uh, MLS teams play in Honduras on, like, uh, or it's or it's a presa on the purple pitch, and uh, it, the rolling around just reaches like just levels of farce. I think I'm I'm fine with that. But I guess if we can get away from that, I want to I want to keep rolling because this is a long this is a long report. This is one that's likely to make people very upset uh, that listen to this podcast. Longtime MLS heads, uh, the firm recommended eliminating all focus on the supporter shield, saying don't use marketing budget or human resources time promoting it. The study finds that only six percent of MLS viewers find it as meaningful. And they also recommended that they tell their broadcast partners to stop talking about it and not even show the presentation of the shield <laughs> at all. And then in the article says it's worth noting that the league website and social media accounts actively covered the LAFC shield clinching victory this year. Um, so I think that's interesting. Uh, the idea that Americans, they're trying to figure out how do we, how do we court the American audience? The Americans love playoffs in general, the hardcore among us podcast listeners all also like the idea of a single table, uh, you know, you get the most points, you win. We also like that. So we're trying to have it both ways. But this this report sort of said, maybe maybe do that less. If you're worried about people pa- caring about your playoffs, you need to only care about your playoffs. Well, which is fair. And you know, that's I suppose I suppose that's fair. I don't I don't really you know. I don't agree that they should pay no attention to it. Um, I think the supporter shield serves a purpose as 
a major trophy in um, in American soccer, regardless of what you, regardless of of how it's promoted or how it's 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 tied. You know, there are three trophies that are up for grabs every year. It's the U.S. Open Cup, the Supporters Shield, and MLS Cup. Um, if you win all three, then you're you're classified as 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 a great team. If you win the Supporters Shield and the MLS Cup, you're classified as a great team. Um, that only ninety four percent of uh, the viewing audience dis- disagrees with us. Well, on you know, this. my my question would be, I I would be curious how that how the phrasing of that question was asked about how. Do you know what it is? Yeah, yeah. Well, we probably I mean, question that, one, and then that probably got like of the total audience 20 25 percent yeah and you know if, if people ask me you know what what do i want to win the, the mls cup or do i want the sports shield but it's just too i want to win mls cup mm-hmm. you want to be the team at the end you want to win the the big game i mean that's just that's just the way it is uh you know champions league is garnering champions league in europe is garnering garners more interest in some cases uh than than winning uh the premiership trophy in a lot of cases um because that game is at the end it's 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 huge. It's a big event um, to win that type of game. So, you know, I, I understand those. Those. So I'd be curious, I guess, the I guess what type of question they asked and the phrasing about it. Um, but I, I do think the Supporters Shield, if a team goes out and wins a Supporters Shield and then goes out and wins the MLS Cup, there is no question anymore that they were one of the great teams. Right. Columbus did it in 2008. Um, I th- Pretty sure DC, you know, this was before the Supporters Shield, but DC uh, did it in in um, in 2004. And I remember, I, you know, I remember the years of 2006, 2007 DC United team, sort of the last teams that DC United, you know, I guess we could argue last half of 2018, but 2006, 2007 was sort of the last year where we had a fun DC United team to watch that was entertaining. That you watched them on the field, and, and they were just a fun team to to uh, to watch. Um, and they won the Supporters Shield both those seasons back to back. So they were certainly really, really good teams at that point. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's something that should go away. I don't agree taking all the advertising budget away, uh, but I don't disagree that the ultimate goal is to win MLS Cup. That's the goal you set. That's what you get the star on the jersey. That's what you get. Um, with, that's what's displayed at the end. Uh, you don't get any stars or circles or half moons for winning the Supporters Shield. So you should get half moons. Yeah, <laughs> that would be funny. That would be funny. I think um, wasn't LAFC trying to like get they were trying to get permission to add a star for their supporter shield or something like that. I feel like I feel like uh, expansion teams always try to pull that crap. Yeah, like every time <laughs> I, I think Seattle <laughs> might have tried to get one when they won the Open Cup. I think they wanted to well, put one on. There. And, and one thing I've always thought, why not? You know how like FIFA has like the little badge on the like jersey for like the World Cup winners. I know the U.S. women have had it. Um, yep. The men have had it as well. I've always thought, why not do something like that? Why not have like. Yeah, why do you not want to sell more jerseys? Why do you hate yeah. making money, MLS? Yeah, I know. I, I would I, if when DC won those supporters shield, they were buying like it. <laughs> a jersey that had like a patch on it that recognized the trophies from last season. I'd buy it. Heck yeah, I'd buy it. So I was I, trying to buy jerseys that had the Concacaf Champions League patch on the arm. That's how hardcore I was when that <laughs> when that was still going on. So that tells you a lot. Yeah. Um, back to the report. It said that in 2015, they there was a league wide loss of 177 million dollars, which is uh some a lot of money. Uh, it, it noted that 65% of the league's overall spending spending was done by seven clubs, four of which were the highest spenders on players. Um, three clubs lost more than $20 million in 2015, uh, one of which was likely Toronto FC, who spent $25 million on players. I would wager in 2015 one of these teams might have been D.C. solely on operating costs related to the stadium and zero revenue from sponsorships, zero revenue from TV dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, only... Four teams in 2015 broke even or profited. Real Salt Lake, Sounders, Sporting KC, and Portland Timbers. I think that's interesting to look at, right? Mm-hmm. Because Seattle Sounders have the the ridiculous gate filling up 
you know, CenturyLink Field. Um, at the time, Portland sport, uh, Portland had a pretty, they hadn't built the expansion yet. Still pretty small stadium. Sporting Casey had their new stadium by 2015. Uh, and Real Salt Lake is in Rio Tinto, which is again, it's small, uh, of those teams, I would say really at, I'm trying to think 2015, probably just the Sounders and maybe a little bit of the Timbers were spending. Real Salt Lake were always money balling it up. Uh, they would they would spend on some South American players that were one to two million dollars. Your Spindulas, your um, Javier Morales, but never really going crazy. Um, Sporting KC also similar sort of similar structure, and it's interesting to notice that those are the teams uh, at that point that were able to to make make money or at least not. Also of note, and this will be Ted. This would be you know to Ted's credit on a lot of things we talk about MLS. None of this financial assessment includes revenue from non MLS sum properties, so that would probably uh, null out some of the loss. Uh, it also said that the highest val- highest sale of an MLS team through 2015 was $110 million worth noting that, uh, Joe Mansueto bought Chicago fire this year for 320 million. That is the Chicago fire that at the time was playing in Bridgeview, Bridgeview, Bridgeview um, yep. out in the middle of uh, the burbs. And now they're going to go play in the cavernous soldier field and that property, which had, you know, probably negative brand equity and really, really ang- like crabby fans who have been sort of uh, browbeaten by the Chicago Fire uh, ownership over the last few years. That was worth $320 million. So that to me was a distressed asset, basically. All they had was their name and the city that they lived in, and the team is okay. But everything else around the team is a garbage fire, and they were still able to make that much money. So that tells you. That tells you some things. <laughs> it tells you that there's still a long-term, and I think this this graph, which I would show you, were a video podcast, and you can also check it out if you're an athletic subscriber, that says that MLS only has a 10% share of broadcast revenue, 20% share of sponsor at revenue, and 10% share of merchandise revenue across soccer in the United States, which tells you that there is a big area to grow. You have mm-hmm. soccer fans, which is the large pie, and then those little tiny 10, 20, and 10% are the MLS fans. So if you're a rich person that does that can accrue short-term losses and know that if you can stick in this for 15, 20 years, who knows where you're going to be, it's likely that you're going to be seeing a big pot of money come your way. So that's I think that's something to talk about. This that's not a the league itself is not profitable still, which is a thing we'll hear a lot about as we enter into the labor negotiations on not profitable on the year-to-year operating expense, like the way you normally judge if a business is profitable or not. Um, there are we've all we've known that the country itself loves soccer. It loves better soccer or soccer away from here or different soccer generally more than it loves our soccer, but it does. Um, and that team people, rich people, still see this as a way to make money. They they you know they're they're taking their losses up front, and the people who have been here a long time have taken their losses for a long time. But that's why they need these big expansion fees to sort of paper over those longtime uh, owner sort of the wounds that they've, they've faced from a, from a league that continues to lose money. Yeah. And I, but I, you know, again, I think, you know, the report tells you everything about, you know, MLS as a whole is, is not MLS. If you look at, you know, the structure, if you just keep it very, very limited to the view of, of MLS, yes, MLS is not making money. And I would even argue, I think what he said was 170 some million dollar losses, um, I mean, how much in a day, and especially when you when you consider that that's a loss for the whole league as a whole for the league as a whole. So those Only losses four teams made money though. So keep that in mind yeah. too as you calculate that. Yeah. So I mean, so it, it, but that loss is sort of spread out. 
um, over, you know, over several, several owners. And that's that's the structure MLS created to sort of, you know, buoy these themselves, even if they lose money. And, and, you know, I I think when you look at when you look at these stands, you look at the the people that are showing up to games, um, the atmospheres, which I think the study also highlighted is something they should definitely highlight. And we've seen that, you know, from 2015 on how much they've highlighted the, the fan culture and everything like that. That's about every advertisement you see along with the players um, is, is look, look at our fan culture. Look how fun this is, you know, get out to the game. And they've been very successful at getting people out to the stadiums to, 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 to watch these games. Now um, attendance really isn't as big of an issue. There, there are some teams out there that do not do a good job of it. Um, and part of that is their own fault. Um, looking at you, Colorado and uh, FC Dallas um, and just who they're marketing to and, 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 and where they are. Um, but even, but even, uh, but most teams you could argue as a whole, still have really good atmospheres and, and you know, before it was like you would go to maybe two or three teams that you could say have it had a decent atmosphere. Now it's 10, 20, 10, 11, 15, you know, you know, almost 20 teams you could say go to and they would have a good or, or very, or very good atmosphere um, just in the stadium. So a, a lot of that is sort of um, has sort of shifted. Um, and I, I, I just, I personally feel that if this league was in trouble, it, it, you have to think that, you have to think that the amount of investment and the amount of people that are banging down the door to, to get a franchise and to get in this thing, you know, certainly understanding the the losses that they're taking. I am sure they are seeing all this. I'm sure MLS is showing all the prospective owners, all of this, all of the financials and, and, and everything. And you still have these 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 owners and investors lining up to give money to start a team. Um, you know, I, I think MLS is looking at this as a you know, we're going to, we're going to grow. Um, we don't have to worry. Um, there's a, always a worry in, in the NFL, NBA, um, maybe a little less so the NBA. Cause I know there's, there, that's growing popularity around the world. Um, but you know, there's always the, the worry about, you know, the talent dilution, talent dilution. Um, MLS doesn't is one of the soccer is one of the few sports. You don't really have to worry about that because there are just so many leagues and, and so many talents out there, um, that you can spend money and bring in. Um, and, and as long if you have if you have the willingness to invest, you can bring in big time talent. And Atlanta United proved that they brought in talent and and brought sixty thousand, seventy thousand people to to watch the games. Um, so I, I think that is partly why MLS is is doing this expansion. And they, I think they're going to have to open the pocketbooks a little bit more for some of these big owners. Um, other owners are going to are going to need to start to step up. Um, Colorado being one, I think Philly. They're also talking about potentially Philly. They they're trying to get Philly moved back to to downtown. Um, could be a sale in there potentially, um, which unfortunately I think would be unfortunate for the for the city. I, I really like going to PPL Park, so for me that would be kind of unfortunate. Um, but you know, I, I look at this, I look at this report and I look at the losses and that's everybody, everybody points to the losses, the losses, the losses. Again, it doesn't include some money. It doesn't include any sort of extra events or extra revenue. And people will take guesses as to what those are, but we don't know what those are. We don't know what those total revenues are. And I think that's, that's, it's bad for the players because MLS can sit here and say, well, look, we're losing money. Look at these balance sheets for MLS. They, they want to make those present during negotiation times. Oh my goodness. You know, we're still losing money. We can't afford to spend a whole lot more. Um, you know, and, and I think the players are now kind of calling uh, BS on that. Um, and I, you know, this is going to be the discussion. It won't surprise me if if the players' association is going to be taking a look at some of this, some of the stuff that was released in this document. Um, and I'm not sure whether this is a good thing for the owner side or this is a bad thing for the owner side that this leaked out. Um, anyone saying any? I think there are a lot of people saying, "Oh, wow, look at the owners leaking out how bad the owner. Great negotiating tactic." They probably handed it to Pablo, and Pablo's like, "No, man, we like no one handled this. It's a, pri- a proprietary report." So, um, 
Yeah. So the, I think at least listeners of the show will know that I am more pessimistic on the future of the team of the league than than Ted is. So just basically whatever Ted said there, uh, assume that I think the opposite. Yeah. You. Yeah. You've been very. You've been very pessimistic. And the only argument I can say is that the league's been around for for twenty. And the only argument I can really make is we don't know all the finances and the league right now has been around for 20 some odd years even if it collapsed tomorrow i don't think soccer would go away i think there would still be a a robust investment in soccer which is why i'm not really worrying i'm not really worrying about it too much i think we get too caught up in this and a lot of this stuff and i'm not really all that concerned about it yeah, we honest. do tend to get caught up on things as as soccer podcasts. Yes, as soccer podcasts, <laughs> and we we deserve to discuss it. But I think we get too caught up in a lot of the, a lot of the sort of the, the idea about you know all these expansion fees and people saying oh it's a Ponzi scheme oh it's this I'm like it's not any of those things. It, it's certainly you're, you're taking people are handpick facts a lot in American soccer and try to paint a picture of something that's worse than sometimes it really is. Um, and we have a lot of those people that do that. And and that's what I take objection to is people who think they know everything, pick maybe a couple of facts and just throw them out there. Um, you know, the Field of Schemes blog, Deadspin um, does a lot of that. So um, and that and that that to me kind of rubs me the wrong way because it, it, it's it's taking an incomplete picture and trying to paint disaster um, when there's a much, much bigger picture there uh, that has been pointed out by a lot of people who follow this league regularly, who know a lot more than I do, um, who have said, look, there, there's a bigger picture here than just these financial losses that you look at. So, Here's something that, that is as bad as people make it out to be, TV production and broadcast quality. Uh, so the study has said that everyone hates the TV. Everyone hates the presentation of the games. 80% of the league's telecasts aired on regional networks, but 80% of the league's total viewership came from the 20% of the games that were nationally televised. That tells you that the regional broadcasts overall are awful they're very bad regional broadcasts at the time of the study were averaging seventeen thousand viewers per game that is nothing that is nobody (laughs) and if we're talking about we got to make sure dc gets on local media we got to make sure they get on tv so that everyone can see them even if they do look for numbers like this it for for reasons that they'll that that the report talks about uh People don't watch MLS on the regional broadcast. They just don't. They, if they care enough to to watch, they care enough usually to go to the stadium. Yeah, that, and that's the. I mean, granted, there are obviously money concerns, and it can only hold so many people. But the amount of hardcore people that there are for a team, the 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 stadium size can support them. Unfortunately, the, yeah, the state the seventeen thousand is the people who want who would go to the stadium normally who are watching on away days is basically Correct. what it is. So it, the the only thing they could do well is impart stadium atmosphere which is a key driver of consumption. Sure. Okay. Yes. They have, they mic the, they mic the stands. Well, uh, they show the TIFO on purpose because of that. Um, the lowest rated markets in MLS in 2015 were LA, Chicago, and Houston, uh, Seattle, Portland, Kansas city were the top three, the premier league NBA and NHL all draw close to 50% of their viewership from the U.S.'s top 10 markets. MLS was only drawing 28%. So they were killing it when there was in, in cities where there's nothing else really sport wise going on or there's less than there are in other places and and their teams are without a doubt staples and and right. very much a part of the sports conversation i'd be curious to see where how atlanta sort of fits into that conversation i bet they're very much probably close to the top this all happens before before they exist yeah i hope they can revisit a lot of these areas i mean because obviously we, we won't get to see it it'll have to, have to be leaked again seven years after it was yeah. actually completed but there are a lot the, the league has changed substantially in these four years 
But the thing that is interesting about this study is that they follow many of the recommendations uh, from the study. The thing that I agree most with here is they're talking about centralizing productions. Um, so bringing everything in-house, the Premier League does this. Um, all of the, uh, if, you, if you are a consumer of Premier League content, all of the highlight shows, all of the sort of highlight packages, the interview stuff, all filmed by the same company or, or a few of the same companies. They use the same sort of design language on everything. They use the same kind of cameras, the positioning. Granted, the stadiums may not all be able to accommodate the exact same thing, but they want to have this, the, the cameras in the same position, same angle. So they want to make the most optimal viewing experience that they know how to make and then make it that way all across the board. I think that is a wonderful idea, something they should do. It might cost some local um, some local teams, crews, their, their, their jobs, and that's really unfortunate, particularly for teams like DC United that have sort of long-standing relationships with their broadcasters. But if you look at that, that 17,000 number and you're the team, you don't care. you gotta, you got to boost that number up to be able to sell ads against it, to be able to do all the rest of the things. Um, you, you, don't, you don't care. Whatever it's going to take to boost those numbers and actually cost you less money, which will be the case with the centralization, you're going to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've talked about this as a potential answer. When you, when you matter very much in your local markets, when, when you matter in Seattle, you matter in Kansas City, you matter in local t- fans will want to watch the games. The solution to that is, okay, bring it all under one umbrella, you know, set up a eight o'clock and 10 o'clock game on Saturday night, have DC, have the DC market get the DC United game, have the Boston market get the New England game, have the Seattle market, you know, put in a, a, a studio show to bring in halftime, you know, maybe it ends a little bit differently, but you know, you bring in, you bring in all the fan, you bring in all the, all the, the halftime type, type shows, you know, and then you can say, oh, we had, you know, 2 million people watch us on Saturday night, but you're pulling in from different markets and, and you sell advertising based on that way. I think we're seeing that, um, you know, one thing I guess it gets really sad is, you know, if, if MLS goes that route, which I, for all, for what it looks like, you know, the fact that they have said no local deals through 2021, I think. So basically every local deal ends at 2021. So when this one, DC signs this one, um, they're not, it's not going to be probably for just a, but a year or two. Um, I, I think you're going to see them say, I think you're going to see them pull everything under one market and they're going to just keep it, keep it local. And that's what they're going to use to, to drive, try to drive ratings a little bit, um, and just sell it, you know, and I think it could be a, at least a smart move to make, um, in, in the sense that it would at least hyper localize everything, which everything's already hyper local anyway. Um, and you know, maybe you do a Sunday night nationally televised, if you have a big event, like if you have LA, FC versus LA Galaxy, which is kind of the one success story. I have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure the ratings of LA Galaxy versus LAFC were actually better than MLS Cup. I'll have to I'm go sure back. They were. I'm yeah. sure that they were. Yeah, and those are. The, I mean, those are the big games that people. I mean, more people watch a quarterfinal game, and that's because you had you had very very good storylines. They tried hard. They tried really hard to say, look, it's a it's a rematch of Seattle and Toronto from 2016 and 2017. 20 yeah 2017 the problem was those games were not classics those games were not those none of those games met the point of classic you had one big moment from Stephen Fry if those had been back and forth affairs if those had been actual exciting games maybe you had a little more to build on so that's the problem that MLS Cup faces is that when it doesn't have a big name last time it had Atlanta so you probably got a big boost from people in Atlanta who were watching the game and Atlanta was this new fresh team and they were they were heading out to win a championship 
Um, and you had Portland as well, too, who had a lot of people had to watch it on the road. So you had a storyline in there that was interesting and intriguing and made you want to watch. Um, I found it very difficult to even I was I was I knew I was going to watch the game, but even I found very difficult to get excited about this game because the the past two times, both in 2006, 2017, were not very exciting games. They were not fun games to watch. Um, so classic cup finals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that, I mean, and, and that's, and that's kind of the problem. I think MLS is going to face for, you know, I don't know what the answer is to how, yeah, how well, do that's, you, I mean, that's the, that's the challenge when you make other than rigging it, which everybody thinks Don Garber is, but <laughs> when you make your, when you make your league, when you make your league about playoffs in a final, you are beholden to this, right? Like where, if it was just about the drama of the season and the, in the, in the table, whoever's at the top wins, that makes the last day exciting across the board, regardless of how the game is, because the results are what matter. And it's not like, uh, I mean, teams will still pay cagey depending on what, depending on what that is, but not as much as they will for a one game final, uh, that, that, that can go to penalty kicks at the end. So just something to keep in mind. I'm going to run through the rest of this very quickly and just sort of high, high, the things that are important are this, um, DP spending, uh, they're basically recommend hiring more DPs of technical quality, perceived quality rather than commercial upside. So less Wayne, Say Wayne Rooney didn't do well his first year. Less Wayne Rooney's, uh, more young, talented Miguel Amarones. Less Steven like Gerrard. You Steven Gerrard. Right. Steven <laughs> Gerrard, sure. Or or uh, or Pirlo or Frank Lampard or any of the other bad ones. Um, basically saying that the problem this league faces is that it's not uh, exciting and dynamic and that they need to spend more money on roster spots 4 through 11, which they have done through TAM, mm-hmm. but that the, the thing holding this team, this league back, and the only thing that they can really focus on is spending money on the talent on the field, hiring players that are exciting and dynamic. I think it's not said here, but the subtext is don't have a DP defensive player because that's not making the games any more exciting. In fact, have worse defenders. Have no defenders. <laughs> that's even better. We play, want more play, goals. No play, defenders. Play 0-0-11s or 0-0-10s. Yeah. Why <laughs> no, not? No goalkeepers. <laughs> and the other thing that is really important here that has likely changed again because we've actually seen some successes is they recommend stop spending money on development. You're not getting any money out of it. It's only it's. They said that fans actually don't care that much about local products. They care about exciting exciting players in the field. I think that that is a a big stark contrast between the the you know the hardcore and then the the casual are trying to attract. This whole report was basically about trying to balance the push and pull between those two markets. That you have that you captured the diehards, but the diehards aren't making you enough money. And the diehards aren't watching on TV because they're at the stadiums. Um, so how, you have to get this other group. How do you get them without alienating uh, the existing fans? So overall, um, I would just just sort of like you know put it all in a bow. The the, the league has followed a lot of these um, a lot of these things. They have not followed the ones that cost them more money generally. Like they the the thing said, take the top off of the sport of the uh, of the, um, the salary cap. Take yeah. the top off, but also push the floor up. So that you guarantee a good level, a, a base level of competition of, of spending. So you have all exciting, some some level of exciting players. And um, I, I want to make the argument too that they're not following the lack of development rule because we're seeing a lot of these MLS teams come up, and we, we've seen two or three or four of them right now are starting USL teams in, in this in the second division. Um, so I I I don't think you're seeing. That recommendation, it, for me, that that's to me that is sort of them maybe MLS understanding a little bit about how the market works. And okay, yes, maybe those players aren't financially 
a big deal. Um, maybe they, they don't bring in ticket sales and revenues. You know, no one's coming here to watch, you know, maybe to watch Griffin Yao or Chris Durkin. But those players can serve a financial benefit if you bring them in, if you develop them, and if you sell them on. Um, and I think that is that is a sort of that is why I, I really hope MLS says, you know what, thanks for that. Um, but we're good. We're going to continue investing in you. And you you have to be in the communities. I'm sorry. You have to do something in the communities. Well, you can't just not. You can't just... It hadn't made money. After 2015, before Alfonso Davies got sold, there really weren't. If you look at a, few, a pure spend versus, uh, you know, receipts back and, and transfers, they weren't making enough money. So it was a, it was a loss leader. And then the question that they they drive through in this in sort of this thing is that this local, the local community aspect that's that us that we find valuable because we're taking we're romanticizing the idea of a soccer club in a community being more than just a a subsidiary of a, a single entity soccer structure that's that's housed in New York City. Like they're basically saying that those people are wrong. Those people be, be having yourselves beholden to the John and Ted's of the world are holding you back commercially. And that's what Tom Hunt said. That's what a whole bunch of former DC United employees, that was that was the vibe that they were getting. That was probably around 2015. So they read this report and they were basically taking it as gospel. You know, we have different, different opinions of what that looks like, but I think the fact remains that they have to make more Ted and John's. They have to figure out how to like mult clone us and fill giant stands full of John and Ted that 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 are that will commit to this because the the everyone else they're trying to get everything they're trying to do to attract them either costs a lot of money or it's something they're not willing to do. So I the the the, the end of this is saying that uh, they have a, a long way to go still to be economically viable in the in the specific not and sort of like not taking all the other ancillary costs into into account. Um, does it matter? Not necessarily. Does it matter to the fans? It really shouldn't. We want we want quality on the field. We want our personal teams to do well and strive to win championships. Um, if that means that the, a floor has to come up or um, ownership that wants to spend has to come in, so be it. Uh, we're still the, the diehards aren't going anywhere, but they we do need those those Rooney people. We need them to come back for another reason and stay um, for us to be long have a long term viability in this market and continue to sort of grow and, and strive we need we need those casuals to, to care and just winning my opinion is just winning won't do that it has to be a certain type of winning it has to be a dynamic visually exciting type of winning that you could you want to go watch on tv when they're not around and you want to make sure you get in the stadium if we're winning every game one nothing due to a cross and a header in the box maybe that doesn't get people's blood maybe it doesn't make their socks roll up and down so maybe maybe if you're looking to make this league grow and make this team grow, you have to make sure that you're doing it in an exciting way. Yeah, I mean, I will say, you know, I've I've been maybe a little critical of the report, but the idea of the investing in the lower half of the league, the the exciting you know talent that we've seen get that we've seen come into the league, um, you know, and creating. I mean, they're they're even with the MLS Cup last night. You saw Pozuelo like dribble basically on the ground get up and move in between, you know, five or six, uh, Seattle defenders. Uh, that's not something you're seeing, um, happen. We can't, that's not something you were seeing, you know, five, even if I would say five or six years ago, there were maybe, you know, one or two players that maybe had the skill level to do that. Now you've got, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys that can, that can go out and do something like that. Um, so, the, and, th- and that's important and that's really good. And that's what the league needs to keep doing is sort of investing in these, these younger talents and, and, 
you know, making them exciting, getting them, getting them exposure, um, and then also selling them on because then you can start to say, hey, this is a league where you get to see big, you know, stars before they're stars. Um, and this is where you're seeing good talent. And I think that should be the goal of the league. And it was kind of undercut a little bit. And like, it was, it was almost like, like timing. Uh, I don't know if you saw the state of the league address. Uh, the state of the league used to be back in the days, Don Garber's state of the league used to be, he would always hide something in there. There would always be something to discuss about that. Basically it's become a, uh, virtual propaganda fe- festival where he talks about. It's always the- been that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always, always been that. It, it has always been that, but there were always like at least some nuggets or some things that were that were buried in there that yep. you could that you could find. It's not that way anymore. Um, it it, it really isn't. It ha- it hasn't been that way for a while. I still kind of pay attention to it, see what's said, and of course, one of the things that got very ridicule, very ridicule, ridiculed was when Don Garber said we we've arrived. And the response to that was, of course, we haven't arrived. And I would make the argument that I'm sure deep down in MLS and Don Garber circles, he knows we still have a long way to go. Uh, League of choice. Yeah. The League of choice. <laughs> if you look at the spending, I like that they did a table basically saying how much we spent compared to other leagues. We're spending like uh, the Turkish Super League and uh, the championship in England. So yeah. when we talk about wanting to become like parity with the Premier League and La Liga, like let's let's calm down, Don. Let's let's be easy with that. Well, you know, and I'd be curious to again. It would be curious to look at this now a few years later because with yep. the inflection of TAM and everything else, there's been a lot more um, investment um, in uh, in in talent in this league. So it it would be very curious. I'd be very curious to to look at it sort of even just four or five years down the road. Um, at the non DP level, we're the same as we were at the time. The same as Sweden, Poland, Norway, Japan, and Colombia. So that's uh, that's always interesting too when you think yeah. about all the players at that time that were always going to play in Sweden um, and Norway. That was sort of like the de facto MLS like siphon league for whatever reason. We were always like, oh, why? Uh, <laughs> Troy Perkins, it, man, going to, yeah. going to Troy. <laughs> Troy was a, one of the a a, a a a pioneer in that in that regard. Yeah, but um, so anyway, I think I think we've spent enough time on the report. Overall, make sure you read it. Uh, it's not. Uh, Things have changed a lot in a lot of ways, but also, um, if you see it's, if you see something, <laughs> if you see something, say something. If you notice MLS doing a thing that uh, that looks like this report, uh, that's probably part of the influence. It's probably part of the plan. We got to see sort of their their five year strategic plan that they would have never made public. We got to see some bones of it, and I think that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and and uh, hats off to to Pablo Maurer and Paul Tenario. Um, I. I they they have literally the athletic has is well well worth their subscription. I don't know if the athletic is just really pushing to get people into the door to subscribe to it. That they're pretty much giving their you know we'll protect you whatever you want to do just go out and do it. Um, you know if, if if Grant Wall gets this report if 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 Stephen Golf gets this report do I do I think it gets out there? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if the post might put the quench on and say, no, 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 we still want to have a good relationship. Uh, the athletics seems, and this is not the first, there've been a lot of stories they've broke that I'm not sure we'd really get from, from any, from a lot of other, uh, a lot of other media medias out there. Uh, prove me wrong. But, um, you know, Steven is still really good at, at getting player information and player knowledge. Uh, Pablo Maurer is showing adept at sort of, um, at sort of uh, calling uh, calling BS on MLS, so to speak, and calling BS on some of the things. So um, that's what I kind of atoned it to him getting this report. Um, I'm not sure we'd see this from any other podcaster. So go subscribe to the Athletic. They're they're doing some great stuff. Um, we want to talk. Uh, we got a little bit of time. Uh, I guess the only like any DC news we have. The only DC news we have 
um, came from Pablo Maurer is the fact that uh, the team is currently shopping around Boateng and uh, Ulysses Segura. Um, Boateng, I would say I agree with in a certain sense. If he if he has a market value and you think you can go get someone better, yeah, by all means, see see what you can get for him. Um, I, who knows if that even means a trade? We are under the half day trade window, and so far, um, it's going to be. It's been kind of a uh, kind of a slow goings. Um, this normally uh, at the end of the season was normally the half day trade window, so you had like deals flying left and right. Um, this is the two and a half day trade window, so uh, things are a little quiet to start, but that's probably to be expected. Um, I imagine probably once we get close to the deadline, uh, there'll be some moves to be made. Um, teams are either they're going to be there's expansion teams. I think Inter Miami made a move today, uh, completely convoluted trade with FC Cincinnati swapping reentry draft picks and. Draft picks for I think it was Victor um, Uyoa Ujoa Ujoa yeah that's right um, so swapping you know for him that's been the only move I've seen so far today um, I know Darlington Nagby was uh, talked about being moved over to Columbus um, you know uh, uh, Caleb Porter getting the band back together um, but again you know that's in a half a day we probably already know about that um, in two and a half day they're going to take their time with it so. Uh, that's the way it is. Uh, but we did have some news uh, regarding a local team. This is we have talked about this before. Now it has been made official by Stephen Golf. The Washington Spirit um, are going to do uh, four games uh, next season at Audi Field, four games at the Maryland Soccerplex, and four games at Segra Field. And the next season, seven games at Audi Field, and I think it was four or five at um, at Segra. Was that was yep. that the was that the, so they are yep. they are essentially moving away from Segra Field. Now, a lot of fans, a lot of the Washington Spirit fans, the, and, and, I, and I feel really bad for them. They have supported this team from day one. They have shown up at, at the Maryland Soccerplex. They have gone there. They have, they have gone out to that stadium week in, week out. Um, a lot of them are not happy about that, um, especially the fact that they, they, they are not getting season tickets and they will only see their team four times at the Maryland Soccerplex. We talked about this. We kind of thought that this wasn't going to be the way they were going to go. We thought maybe they were going to, you know, they were going to go down the route of, you know, four games at Audi, the rest at, you know, the Maryland Soccer Plex, but I think most fans would have been okay with. John, what are your what are your thoughts about you, you have some very strong opinions, I think. You were very much hoping they would not make this move. They've made it. You've read the the document. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's tough. For me, it doesn't make too much of a difference. I wasn't going to get up to Boyd's. Yeah. And I just, I just, I just Google mapped it to Sager Field, forty-one miles. Um, so probably not going to get up there very often either. To be honest with you, um, I feel like they were. I think that there was a a carrot in the in the sands of we can uh, we can we can talk about this rent if you want to maybe also come over to Segra. And also we could talk, we can give you office space. We can give you a permanent locker room mm-hmm. in Audi field, which I didn't know they could do. I thought there was a problem with not enough space for locker rooms, which well, is why I, they couldn't do uh, international games. But. I, well, I think that's the thing they have. They have three lo- locker rooms that exist at Segra field. Now they so, have, now they have none for visiting. Uh, I guess, I guess you could always make them double purpose or whatever, but yeah, I mean, well, I think you have the home team, you have DC's locker room. And I think there's another locker room. So the spirit will get, that extra locker room, and then you have the away team locker room. So I think that's kind of how that's uh, that's what I've been told is that they have three separate locker rooms. They needed four in order to host international games. They only had the ability for three. They could like figure out a way to make it, you know, to make it, uh, to make it, to make it four. They could like half it or you know put a wall up or something. But basically, they have three locker rooms. So I'm guessing the 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 spirit are taking that sort of extra third locker room. Um, is my yeah. guess. I think that this will. 
benefit the team. Mm -hmm. I think it will benefit their business operations. I think it'll benefit their, their presence in the market. Um, it will not benefit Maryland fans. That's who it will not benefit. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much all there is to it. I'm excited for the team to have larger aspirations, which is what this says to me. Um, I think that's from a, from a fan who's unlikely to go to the games, no matter where they are next year. Um, the, the, the striving to, to, to be bigger is, is something that I like to see. And, you know, and, and, and this is where they are. I, a lot of people are, a lot of people in Maryland are upset. A lot of people, the fans that go out to the games, you see them on Twitter, they're saying, I'm done. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not buying any tickets anymore. I'm done. This is horrible. What are you doing? The fact of the matter is, and, and, and you, and you put the nail on the head. I've, I drove, I've driven out to one game, one game in, in Boyd's, Maryland to see them, to see them play. Um, it is an, it is a trek for me to get out there. And I know that there are people, I, there are people here who drive from Richmond and even they're upset about this, I think, because they have to go to um, to, to Loudoun. Um, it is a trek to get out there. And, you know, I Skip think those games, yeah. by the way, <laughs> yeah. just don't go to Loudoun. That's four games. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Go, to the other, go to all the other ones. <laughs> go to all the ones. Exactly. They're not doing season tickets. They're going to probably do like four game plans. Yeah. They're going to sell like a four game or they're going to like sell. It's going to be like an eight game plan with four tickets to, to the Audi field game, four tickets to your choice of Segra and, yeah. and the Maryland soccer plex. It's probably be what, smart. Yeah, it's probably what they're going to do. Um but, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, a lot of us, because of how hard it is to get out to Boyd's, it's very difficult to really, you know, you guys have really had that team all to yourself. And, you know, I, I hate to use the phrase, maybe it's time to share. Maybe it's time to share with the rest of the D.C. market um, that can go out there and, and maybe wants to be more invested and be more involved in this team. But, you know, we all have busy lives and busy schedules, and a trip out to Boyd's, Maryland, just doesn't fit into the cards week in and week out. No disrespect to the people that do. Uh, there are people I know that do go out there that have supported this team, that that drive out to the Maryland Soccerplex. Uh, but if you want this team to grow and you want this team to matter – um, you know, look at look at the look at the at the Mystics, uh, the the DC Mystics, what they were able to accomplish in winning their championship, um, and and what they brought to the DC market. The Spirit can absolutely have that, um, and they had a little bit of that when they went to Audi Field. Now imagine they put together a good team, they go out, they win a championship. Imagine if the 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 NWSL final is hosted at Audi Field, which I hope happens at some point. I hope they can man- figure out a way to make that happen. And and the spirit are in there just like North Carolina's in there. Um, in my opinion, this is and again you talk about the locker room space. The fact that they they now have their own locker room in Audi Field. They have their they're gonna have the access. From, it's an improvement from the the Boyd situation. Absolutely, we've heard firsthand words from Demarcus Peasley over mm-hmm. at Houston uh, about about that situation. So that's that's an increase for for a lot of top level players and attracting top level players too. Um, you know, North Carolina has been able to get it, bring in really good players because they have treated this like a real professional team. And that's why they've been better than everybody else. Yep. Uh, now the spirit have access to that. They have the amenities in the locker room and that makes a difference. That's something a lot of fans don't, I feel like miss, um, is you're able to bring in better talent when DC was at RFK. You're not bringing in big talent. Cause they'd walk around RFK and be like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, no, nope. I'll, I'll stay in, I'll stay at Estudiantes. I'm good. I'm good. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait my turn there. Um, but when you have a better locker room, when you have a, a better presence, when you you get better training facilities like DC's building, you know, I Spirit would be fools not to want to be a part of that. Yes, you have to go to Segra Field for four games. Yes, you have to play on field turf, which is not great. But I think the benefits of this far outweigh the potential negative sides of it. And, you know, when we have our live show, if you're a Spirit fan and you're furious at us, Next live show, feel free to call in and tell us what idiots we are. We encourage it, in fact. We <laughs> <Yeah>. encourage it. 
just just to just to hedge my bets on that side, <laughs> I do want to say that the it is it is good. It, I think it's fair to say that like there are now another group of fans that want to be um, you know serviced by having the, the the team actually available to them. I will say that the Maryland fan base kept the the team afloat when it was not as That's fashionable to care about women's soccer. So I give them plaudits for that, and I thank them for that, and I hope that they can still make it to Audi Field. For at least for all those games, I, understanding that Segra Field may be a bridge too far, I don't blame them. No matter where they're coming from, it's a um, it's, it's a bridge for you to, it's a bridge too far unless you live in Loudoun County. Basically, correct it is basically what it is. Correct. It, it, it's just gonna it's just changing it's changing uh, the people's expectations of how many games they're gonna get if, if they don't want to make that trip. If they want to be season ticket holders, they're gonna find a way that they're gonna have to do something different because they live too far away. Traffic. Traffic is not a joke here, folks. For if you happen to be an out of the region listener, uh, it's just not. It's not something you can work around. It's not something you can plan around. It's not something you can just, you know, I'll just leave earlier. It'll be fine. It's not. There's no. nothing you can do. It is a maw of suck. It's inescapable. No matter where you're coming from in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. So, if you don't live close to it, you're probably not going to want to go to it. So that that this sort of shared space arrangement, at least for this year, seems like a novel and fair experiment to see how how can a team that is sort of nomadic within a region. Uh, how, how is anyone happy? Is anyone made happy by this? If they are, then keep doing it. And I mean, the, the ultimate goal is that things go so well at Audi Field that you know maybe they do the seven games or four at Segra. But the ultimate goal is that eventually you just play all your games at Audi Field. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that that is the ultimate goal in, in a sense. Um, and then, in my opinion, it, you know, all the problems go away because they are literally on the same level as the as the men's side in DC United. Um, so again, that's the ultimate goal here. And then the locker room becomes permanent. All the all the facilities become permanent. Uh, by the way, Roosevelt played excellent um, in the latest friendly. I don't know if great he had assist. a yeah great assist in that game. Um, super super excited to see her uh, in a spirit uniform next season. Healthy, hopefully. Healthy, yes. And it's so much fun, much more fun watching the women's team than the men's team right now. Which, by the way, they played Canada, and we didn't talk about it. Oh well, uh, we're out of time. <laughs> we're out of time. Sorry, folks. Not going to talk about the the majesty of the Concacaf Nations League. <sighs> All right. Uh, anything else you want to add, John? No, no, I think I think that uh, I think there was a lot of stuff that happened this week. Most most weeks, the show is not going to have a completed Cup final, a a a secret dossier of MLS information, and a large. Uh, agreement involving one of the teams we follow. So hope all of you enjoyed this longer than usual episode and uh, get used to uh, something a little bit more thin next week or next. The one, the one thing I have to say to everybody is pay attention to that blue little check mark. Um, when you're reading that blue little check mark on Twitter, uh, pay attention to that when you're reading rumors and, and potentially surprising news, make sure that exists uh, because there are a lot of people out there that think it's funny. Um, to post crap, to post, uh, to post crap. I'm not saying actually it's not humorous, but a lot of people, a lot of people like to go out and do that. So pay attention to that. Don't, don't buy, don't buy, uh, don't buy Don Garber's quitting or, or Don Garber or the league's folding or anything like that. Just don't, just don't. And some people are very quick at deleting their tweets when they realize they've been had before, say the co-hosts were about to make a funny joking tweet about, uh, someone not checking the full at name before retweeting a post about certain coaches being fired. So hey, everybody wins. I think we all got a, I, we all got a second bite of that. I, apple. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea what you're talking about. 
I could have left it up too. Maybe no one ever thought it, I was just making it. You, you were right to not. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. Twitter.com slash RFURFUGs, Patreon.com slash RFURFUGs. Thank you all for listening to this mammoth show that we said we were going to do breaks, but we didn't. We have two new Patreon subscribers, uh, Arthur Lampros and Rich Myers. So thank you all so much for donating to the show. Uh, and we will catch you all down the road. Vamos. Vamos. Vamos.